values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. A story came out now that uh, former Vice President Pence classified documents in his possession as well, not held in a secure location. So I've had this question from the beginning of these stories breaking, and that is how often does something like this happen? Was it a unique occurrence with Presidents Trump and President Biden? Now we're finding out about former Vice President uh, Pence. Do we need to be asking Barack Obama and Bill Clinton and George W. Bush and surviving presidents and vice presidents, retired senators, and asking them, what do you have? Go double check. Is this something? And how are documents like this normally handled, and how does something like this happen? Well – we're going to ask an expert. Uh, Steve Hooper spent over 30 years with the FBI, Is uh, hand, has handled for all of his career classified documents. He joins us now. Uh, Steve, how does something like this happen, and do you believe it's a very common occurrence? Well, that's a great question, Mike. It's uh, it, it probably happens more than we realize, um, uh, but probably not as much as we think. I think that, uh, you know, uh, part of the problem is volume. And especially at the president and vice president level, they are uh, constantly looking at uh, classified information. And we could do a whole hour on, you know, what is what classified means and the different levels of, uh, you know, sensitive and, and secret and top secret and top secret SCI and why a skiff is needed and so forth. Um, but the, the bottom line is that if it, when they say classified information, it has to be a little more specific than that. Um, not that secret documents, secret level documents uh, are not uh, in, a, in violation of at least policy, if not the law, by bringing them home. Um, that top secret documents are the ones that become really critical because they're not supposed to leave. And we've talked at length, you and I, about SCIFs, sensitive compartmented uh, information facilities. And they're not supposed to leave a SCIF. They're supposed to, it doesn't matter who it is. Um, you you go into the SCIF, it's a, a, a secure room. All the documents are kept in there. You can't bring your phone in. You can't bring any electronic devices in. In fact, if you take notes about what you're reading in there, you can't even take the notes out. You can read the documents and then you can leave. Um, but you can't bring anything in there out, including any notes you take. So um, that's how strict it is with the SCIF. Now, when you get to the president level, or, and I would say the vice president level as well, um, there's, it's, it would be understandable that obviously uh, the White House uh, is a SCIF, the uh, Air Force One is probably SCIF level, and then of course many of presidents' residences have either a room or a secure area that meet the qualifications so that uh, if something comes in while they're at their private residence, uh, whether it's Bush in Texas or Biden in Delaware or uh, Trump down in uh, Mar-a-Lago, that they're able to read documents there. But they shouldn't be stored there. So I, I think it comes down to when and why. Uh, is what if they if they're going to dig into this, it's if, again, if they're going to punish one, they got to punish all for not having them in a secure location. 
but the when and why I think is the is the key piece. What is on the, this one? What is the normal punishment? Let's say for you, for people that worked for you or worked with you when you were with the FBI, if somebody violated these rules with these documents, what is the normal course of action and punishment? Well, I'll speak for within the FBI, and if it was top secret information. Um, you probably the odds would probably you'd go it'd be an internal investigation uh, conducted by the Office of Professional Responsibility. And if you negligently had top secret documents uh, outside of uh, the building and, and had them at your house, I, I'm pretty sure you'd probably get fired over it. Um, Do people uh, an inadvertent? Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Do people lose their clearances for violations like this? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say if it's within the building and you have violated the, uh, the skiff rules within a building, you're potentially going to use your security clearance, and there'll be punishment within. Um, so it depends on how extremely how what the extreme of the negligence was, uh, the act that you uh, committed. But uh, yeah, you'd be punished in some way, shape, or form. Some so, more serious than others. Now we understand. I'm going to kind of go back a little bit with a story that broke years ago with the Hillary Clinton and the uh, the the server, the email, the the uh, computer server that she had that was wiped clean, and then documents that were found on Anthony Weiner's computer from his wife, whom Abedin, who worked for Hillary Clinton. Um, there really isn't much of a difference as far as the rules and the laws are between electronic data and physical pieces of paper, is there? No, there isn't. But I always said that it, when you start talking servers and electronic data, people don't have a, uh, a strong connection to that. But if if there were boxes of paper documents, people would look at it differently. And I think that's what we're seeing now, because these three cases we're dealing with now involve uh, paper documents that were taken to uh, private homes. And when I say the where and when, understand, too, we talk about president and vice president and the ability to review uh, classified intelligence uh, in different places just because of the position they hold. But I can tell you, not many an FBI agent was called late at night or in the middle of the night and, and had to get in their car and drive back to the office to go into a skiff to read a document because they couldn't skiff. And occasionally it would happen, but they would not be able to bring documents home just to review or so no one could bring that document to their home for them to review. They would have to drive into the office. All right. So now we know. I'm sorry. We, we know that President Trump, President Biden, Vice President Pence, based on just that, do you believe that there's going to be a review? Are we going to have reporters asking questions of every living president and vice president about what they have? Do you believe that those men are now looking at their own personal residences to find out if they've got documents as well? I hope they are. And, and yeah, I think that's exactly what's going to happen is they're going to start going back through others. But understand, too, and this is this is uh, the, the piece that I uh, want to see what happens is um, it, when a president or a vice president, they're going to start looking through. But uh, to find out if they accidentally, inadvertently or whatever, have stuff at their house because they never returned it. But. Congress, the members of Congress and senators are no different than 
FBI agents or CIA case officers. Their rules never change. They, they're not allowed to bring stuff home. Mm-hmm. They're not on the same level as a president and vice president. So uh, senators and uh, members of Congress that uh, bring stuff home, they're, they're in the same uh, boat as the uh, they're, they're just government employees like the rest of us. So um, it'll be interesting in the president's case where that's why I said the when and why yeah. is mm-hmm. the key piece to this investigation. When were those brought home? Was he vice president? Was he president or was he senator? And I think that'll play into some of this investigation. Steve Hooper is with me. He is a former uh, member of the FBI, spent over 30 years there. He is now a, a professor up at Embry-Riddle. Let's, before I let you go, Steve, you do something you release every week called the Tripwire re- a Report from your company, from your security company. Uh, can you tell us about your company? And if people want to subscribe to this newsletter that you put out, how can they do that? Well, uh, the Tripwire Report is a weekly intelligence report, and it uh, my my goal is to add clarification to uh, why either national security or corporate security um, uh, policies and procedures are in place, and because our company trains on risk management, crisis management, emergency preparedness, things like that. And so when critical events occur around the country, the government and business have to prioritize what's the biggest threat right now. And so um, we try to capture the latest threats in corporate world and the latest threats to national security and add clarity to uh, what the government should be doing and what or what businesses should be doing to address those threats. And if you they will go onto our website, tripwiresecuritysolutions.com, uh, there is a uh, you can log on to uh, any of the Intel reports and you could subscribe. Just hit the subscribe button and you put in an email and uh, it's a free subscription and you'll get them in that email, whatever email you put in. It'll hit that email every week. Steve, as always, I appreciate the time and the expertise. All right, thanks, Mike. All right, that's Steve Hooper and uh, wealth of information. I, I get the, I do get the newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. Coming up in a moment, um, how does cutting taxes increase revenue? We're going to talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. The purpose of the political parties, obviously, is because we have political and ideological differences in how a country should best be run or any government should be run. I want you to hear a couple of things. Uh, This is President Biden talking about trickle-down economics. I want the wealthy to continue to be able to do well, but look, I'm tired of trickle-down economics. I want to build this economy from the bottom up and middle out. When that happens, poor folks have a shot, middle class does well, and the wealthy never get hurt. Um, absolutely not true in my opinion, but again, that's just the, that is the battling. Um, that is how the ideologies battle. Um, the United States Treasury. Let, let's talk about two things: uh, the Trump tax cuts and the Ducey tax cuts. 
um, if you're going to talk chief executive. Now, the Congress had to go along. State legislature had to go along here in Arizona to make that happen. The economy in Arizona, as we roll toward this recession that people are predicting for this year, um, experts outside of Arizona, economic experts, have said that Arizona is one of the best places to be positioned to withstand a, a recession because of the economy we've built. We've diversified our economy. We have brought in higher paying jobs by virtue of the number of jobs that we have available and the small number of people to do those jobs. We are seeing it be a seller's market when it comes to the labor force. If you are a warm body, you can usually find a job on a job site where you are someone with a skill set. You can make really, really good money. Um, And so uh, that is because we've lowered taxes. So in Arizona, we've lowered taxes and increased revenue into the state treasury. We have seen a huge increase. We have a billion dollars in a rainy day fund, and we've actually rolled back taxes, but we've widened and broadened our tax base. That's what this does. It gives business owners and citizens of means an opportunity to keep more of their own money. But everybody got a tax cut. The problem is they say, well, the rich got the biggest tax tax cuts. That's because they're paying the most in taxes. No one adds that on to the end of that sentence. Now, again, I've said before, I'm not a millionaire. I'm certainly not a billionaire, but I want to be. I'm working to be, and I will proudly say it when I do. I don't think having wealth is something someone should be ashamed of, especially when you've worked hard hard and you've earned it, and you shouldn't be punished because you're wealthy. Now, I don't think that all taxes are punishment, but when you have a higher percentage of taxation for wealthy people, that is punishment. You're saying you've already paid your percentage, but now you're rich, you're going to pay even more. And that's the ideological difference between myself and and the president and other people that subscribed that way. And I would challenge them and say, when did their plans ever work? We don't see poor people getting out of poverty. We don't see it happening under these plans. What it is is it's class warfare. It's let's punish the rich to make the poor feel better. Well, it doesn't. So if you look at the Trump tax cuts, the exact same thing happened. Record revenue into the Treasury. So here's the question. Is the United States spending at a deficit because they have a spending problem or an income problem? Now, I would say to you that we have a spending problem in America. We have record revenue. And it's even happening during the Biden administration, by the way. We have had record revenue into the United States Treasury in spite of these you know, damaging tax cuts that are going to hurt the American people. But we didn't cut any spending. And I would say if you want an answer to this problem – Without having to cut any programs, redundancy and waste would be a place. Let's simplify the United States government in the in the biggest way possible. Think about your own company, if you work for one or if you own one or you manage one. If you are having – if you are hemorrhaging money as a company and you are seeing that you're making good money, your income level is high, but you're still at deficits or your profit level is not good enough, one of the first thing that people that run businesses do is take a look at waste. Let's go to one specific industry. One of the things that is managed very, very well by successful restaurants is food loss. And waste. When a, a cook or a chef makes a mistake, they make the dish wrong. Or they buy too much product and it goes bad, they can't use it, they have to throw it out. When a restaurant is firing on all cylinders, whether it's a chain restaurant or it is a, you know, a family owned business, is when they have their food waste, they have their uh, waste down to a minimum. 
There's always going to be some waste. And one of the things those businesses do to make sure that their bottom line is as strong as possible is to reduce waste in every area that they can, whether it's the number of employees you have on the floor at one time during a time of day when you're not busy. So some people are sent home because you're not busy enough. Same within the kitchen or it's actual food that you prepare. And it's the same thing could happen in our government. I have chronicled story after story after story of absolute government waste. There is another story today about $1.4 billion in fraud in the um, – uh, the unemployment program during COVID. It is this kind of waste and fraud and redundancy and loss that happens that make people frustrated. And this is the kind of stuff we could cut to make our deficit smaller and not change one program. But we're not doing any of it. Coming up in a moment, um, it, just after 930, cartels are using children as human smugglers. We'll talk about it next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate it as always. Good talking with you. Um, I hope you can spend a little bit of your day with me each day, but we appreciate any time you can. I know you've got a lot of choices. Um, the ongoing conversation about the border this is a national story from the Daily Caller. Drivers smuggling illegal, illegal immigrants into the country are bringing their young children to cover their crimes. So they're taking children as cover while they are committing these crimes. Now, children should be taken from any parent that's doing this. State, local, and federal authorities have recorded several instances in recent years of smugglers bringing their children while driving illegal immigrants to American cities away from the border. It's what happens when people care more about making a few dollars and the health and safety of their own family. According to a Texas sheriff. So we understand also that the cartels are employing children. We've heard about this. I've talked to uh, I think we had I believe um, we had the sheriff of Pinal County on with us and we were talking with him about this, that they're seeing more and more often that young people are being used, underage people, children are being used. They're being um sought out on social media. Sometimes it's Snapchat. Sometimes it's these other social media platforms where uh, they're being recruited to be human smugglers. They're making a lot of money by adult standards, a lot of money, and they're going down to the border. They're being told there's a vehicle where the keys to the vehicle are. You're going to pick people up, and this is where you're going to drive them to understanding, as the, the, the drug dealers have done this in America for years, realizing that we have lenient juvenile laws, and I'm not saying we should change them necessarily. Necessarily, but we have lenient laws when it comes to juveniles, giving them multiple chances before they see any kind of a real criminal record or they do any kind of substantial sentence for a crime committed. So the kids run, they flee the cops because they're not afraid of being punished. They are, you know, they're they're taking their life into their lives into their own hands, not realizing it because they're dealing with with the cartels. But it's hard to pass up, you know, thousands of dollars to just drive a car full of people from a border town. Uh, into Maricopa County, let's say. And so we are seeing more and more often 
that they are employing children, but in this case, it's parents using their children as cover while they bring illegal immigrants into the country. And it, it shows you how big this problem has gotten. It shows you the sheer amount of money that's being thrown around and the danger that people are willing to put themselves or others in in order to make a few bucks. And uh, there's something that has to be done. Now, there is good news on the border. We have heard from the, the, the mayor of Yuma is saying that they have the numbers are down in Yuma is the president's policies, the shift in policy that is telling people you will be automatically turned around and sent back. So don't come. We've been talking about this political, this policy change for a long time. And I'm hoping that that is the cause of it. One of the reasons I say that is because if we are seeing a solution that this White House is finally on board with and they stick with it, maybe we will see reasonable numbers that it can be handled and we can do something about this fentanyl crisis. Um, Even in Seattle, which is obviously not a southern border state, but even in Seattle, Washington, they have morgues that are filling up with people that are overdosing on fentanyl. It is killing adults at the highest rate of anything else. And we've got to figure out a way as a country to fix this problem. It is it's very strange to me how the this administration's policies have been so um, – I would say they've been so uh, up and down. They've been so opposed to each other. When you set a policy in place about vaccinations for people with visas, um, this was frustrating to me. And maybe someone else has an explanation that I haven't thought of. But the administration had a policy and has a policy in place that if you are if you hold a visa and you want to come to America and and work on that use that visa to work, you have to show that you've been fully vaccinated and boosted in order to come into this country and work. But if you walk across the border illegally, there is no such requirement in order to demand entry for the asylum seekers. Now, there are those that say, well, there's a big difference in people that are seeking asylum and fleeing oppression and everything. But you basically have shut down our country in many different ways. And it wasn't just this president. It happened under President Trump as well as far as shutdowns go. But if the federal government says we are shutting this down or we're shutting that down, if the state governments and local governments shut things down, if these shutdowns are happening – and they believe that it's in the public good, interest of the public good. How do you then leave the border wide open? How is it if an American citizen borders an airplane, boards an airplane in Phoenix and flies to, um, you know, pick a town, Acapulco, and you fly back to the U.S., you have to show a negative COVID test before you can come back into the, to America on an airplane. But if you drive into Mexico and you drive down to Rocky Point, you can drive back across the border with no such requirement. How does how do those work together? So people have been confused about the border policies of this administration, or at least I have for a very long time. And I'm hoping that because of the White House was starting to take heat and you've got to give a little bit of credit where it's due. I don't necessarily I know what the reasons are in my mind, why they're doing it. But when you've got Democrat, very liberal Democrat mayors like the mayor of New York and other cities that are saying we are being overwhelmed with migrants, we can't do this anymore. This is a federal problem. We need federal help. When you see people in the president's party becoming very, very critical of the president's policies, that's when they begin to listen. Let's be honest. There's going to be a lot of times. I don't agree with this president and policy on much of anything. Um, I don't hate him. I just disagree with him on many things. Um <clears throat> 
I would I would venture to guess that there are going to be a lot of policy issues that our current governor comes forward with that I won't agree with. But I will tell you, I've had a few conversations with her. I've interviewed her a couple of times, and I would like to keep a rapport open where you get to hear the governor on this show and let her talk and let her explain her policies. I may not agree with them, but she's the governor. So it's when people in that party start to question what you're doing because, you know, the governor's not going to listen to me. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, the governor's not going to care what I think because she knows that I'm not going to vote for her. She's concerned about the independent voters out there. She's concerned about Democrats and what they believe, just like Republicans are with Republican voters. So when right is right, and wrong is wrong, and it's not right and left, it's right and wrong, then we start seeing things. Because it wasn't until some very prominent members of the president's party stepped forward and said, we have to stop doing this. We've got to do something different. Mr. President, you have to do something about this. That's where this policy shift came in. So thankfully, some of them have finally started to get on board. In a moment, something interesting as the Gilbert Police Department is now using technology to better serve the citizens of Gilbert. I want to explain to you what they're doing and how it might be changing policing in a lot of other places as well. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. The golf tournament that is hailed as the People's Open returns to the TPC in Scottsdale. The WM Phoenix Open tees off February 6th. It runs through February 12th. You can head over over to the contest page at KTAR.com right now for your chance to win tickets. One lucky winner is going to win Greenskeeper passes. Very cool. Um, Gilbert Police is using a new system called Spider Tech. It is a crime reporting system. So with this new system, when callers contact the police department, they receive a text that acknowledges their call. If they request a police officer, they'll receive updates of when the officer will be sent to them. Now, I would imagine that this is through priority two calls, maybe not priority one, and I don't know that for sure. Um, The victims of crime will receive customized updates about their cases. This includes when the case is assigned to a detective and updates as their investigation progresses. This tech will also be available in Spanish to Spanish language speakers as well. It's a, you know, using technology to better serve the public and to be able to keep in touch without tying up people. And I know it's a frustrating thing if you have been a victim of a crime. Trying to reach a detective to get answers is not necessarily easy all the time because they're busy with so many cases. This gives an automated system away. I just think it's one more way technology is helping. I think it's great. We know that a lot of places do this. And it's, it's very, you know, I, I make reservations online at a restaurant. And um, when after, after we're done the next day or later on that day, I'll get an email saying, how was your experience at this restaurant? They want information and feedback. It's all automated. And it's just one more way that people can get better customer service, especially in something like policing. Um, I bring this up because we're always talking about improvement in public safety and improvement of society. The conversation about the Second Amendment is back again because of mass shootings that have happened. I want you to hear conflicting schools of thought again, different ideologies. Um, This is Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary. 
talking about one of the solutions they believe would be helpful. Last night, Senator Feinstein, alongside Senators Murphy, Blumenthal, and others, reintroduced a federal assault weapons weapons and high-capacity magazine ban and legislation that would raise the minimum purchase age for assault weapons to 21. So you can get a rifle, you can have a shotgun, but you can't get what they call an assault rifle until you're 21. Except you can join the military when you're 18. Oh, but Mike, they're trained. So you're not saying you should be trained before you're 21. You're saying they can't have them. Big difference. So now let's go to the representative from Texas, Morgan Luttrell, talking about the thoughts on this. As someone who defended the freedoms of people overseas and the freedoms of the American public carrying a gun, I'll never blame the weapons system for these act, these atrocious acts that people are, are committing against these innocent people. And that's absolutely the right attitude. You don't blame the person. You blame uh, – we blame the the weapon, not the person, and which should be the other way around. And it's frustrating to me because, yes, I am a a defender of the Second Amendment. And it's so funny. I've talked about the NRA and how hated the NRA is by the gun control people. And I look at that and I think – when I say that there is ignorance in the people that want gun control, I don't mean stupidity. You don't know anything about guns or gun owners. You just see death, you blame it on the gun, and you think if we got rid of the guns, we'd get rid of the death. We all know in our minds we know that's not true. It's an emotional reaction. I don't want to see any more mass shootings either. But do you realize that the National Rifle Association is the premier training and safety organization when it comes to firearms? Do you realize that without the NRA and the NRA training people that are out there that are teaching concealed carry classes and teaching people how to appropriately use, maintain, um, and clean and effectively own firearms. Do you, do you have any idea how much work they do in the firearm safety world? They get a bad name because they are a lobby that says we are going to defend the Second Amendment. We believe the Second Amendment is, 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 protects all the other amendments. And they're not wrong in my mind. But it is so funny to hear the hatred that people have toward an organization that does so much work in the area of safety and training. And it's the big area that their gun control advocates want more of. They want more safety and they want more training. That's what the NRA does. That's what they do. So when I get frustrated with people that are anti-gun And it's not 100%. There are people out there that do their homework, but they still are anti-gun, and they're in favor of much more strict gun legislation. So it's not not always or never. But largely, it is because people don't know anything about firearms, purchasing firearms, owning firearms, or the people that do. They have predisposed ideas of who those people are. And I will tell you that I am not dangerous. I'm armed most of the time when I'm outside, uh, certainly of my home. I am armed most of the time. And I can promise you no one's in danger unless they're trying to commit a violent crime against me or somebody I care about or whatever. I would argue that the opposite is true, that we are a safer society when the society is armed. We're certainly more polite. But the idea that we're going to make this restriction and that's going to help the problem. No, it isn't. If you look at the vast majority of these shootings that happen, they're called prohibited possessors and they're already breaking gun laws. Let's go with this assault weapons ban or whatever to young people. Go to um, uh, was it Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida. 
that kid that shot up that campus had broken multiple firearm laws. We're talking about major felonies before he ever pulled the trigger. He wasn't supposed to have the gun. He wasn't supposed to conceal the gun. He wasn't supposed to bring the gun on a campus. All three of those are felonies that could have gotten him locked up. He ignored all of those gun laws, including the gun law that says you don't shoot innocent people. But somehow the gun was the problem and not the kid. There was already a law against him having it, and it happened. I want changes, too. I want to see a safer society attacking the firearms themselves and access to it to them by innocent people, by law abiding citizens is not going to help the problem. Not even a little, not even a little coming up after just after 10 o'clock. Goldman Sachs says that there are four places in the country that they believe is going to, are going to see an increase in property value, home value, and then a pretty dramatic drop. Yes, Phoenix, Arizona is one of them. We'll talk about it next.